Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what treachery is this that you have committed against God of Israel to turn away this day from the following of the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. You may be seated. And welcome again. We want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you're with us, uh, especially our guests. We are honored to have your presence. In your visitor's packet, you had a little card. If you don't mind, pass those cards to the inside aisle, and they'll be picked up at this time. Thank you so very much. Appreciate that. Conflict. Does it happen? In your home, if you are living and you are breathing, I'm going to say to you, yes, you have conflict from time to time. Conflict is something that just seems to come our way. It's hard to avoid it. How do we handle conflict? How do we solve conflict God's way? I begin with a little email that a guy sent to his neighbor. He wrote in this email, Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted music from your stereo. And when your dog does his business all over my yard... You laugh. Well, I could go on and on, but I'm, I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I'm writing this email, and I'm not sure how long it will take for you to read it. But I need to inform you that your house is currently on fire. Cordially, Bob. Now, I'm sure that helped. Not... That's not a help that we need. But conflict does come our way. Conflict is inedible because, you know, it's going to happen. Whether it's between neighbors or friends or spouses or family members, co-workers or, yes, even church members. So how do you go about solving conflict in the way that are helpful? How do you bring peace to a situation where tension has arisen for whatever reason? Let's turn to Joshua 22 to see how the nation of Israel avoided fighting each other after they had fought together to win the land. Joshua 22 verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. These are the ones that would end up settling east of the Jordan River. Everybody else is west of the Jordan River. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. They were commanded to help the west side be victorious over the enemy. And they had fought with their brothers. And they had gained many, many victories. 
And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore, return and, and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. You have fulfilled your promise to help support the folks on the west side. And now it's time for you to go over to your land on the east side. Now, Joshua is commending these soldiers. He commends the soldiers of the two and a half tribes who kept their commitment to fight along with their brothers against the enemy. It took them seven years. It took them seven years to do it, but these soldiers were faithful. Now, Joshua only has one request. Verse 5 and 6. Remember God. Be faithful to God. Don't give up your faith. That's what he says. He encourages these soldiers to remain faithful to God. And then he reminds them of all that they have gained. They got the war booty. They've got all the riches that have been given to them as victors. So they part ways. And these two and a half tribes, they travel back over to the east side. Now, they return home with much wealth and, and the nation's gratitude. It's a, it's a wonderful time for the nation of Israel. After seven years of fighting their enemies together, they are returning now back to their families. There's peace and prosperity. And all seems well, but that's about to change very quickly. Go with me now over to Joshua chapter 22, verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, what are they doing? They built an altar. There by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. What's going on here? Are they about to worship a false god? Are they about to give up the true worship of Jehovah God after fighting together? They're about to fight each other. Why? Because the tribes on the west side, they're not going to let their brothers worship a false god. They declare war. They're on the verge of civil war. What's going on here? Why do they build that altar? You see, there's a, a misunderstanding. Do you know a lot of conflict comes from misunderstandings? There's a misunderstanding about the intention of this new altar that the two and a half tribes have built. Likewise, in today's world, we, we can't read each other's minds. You know, we may have ESPN, but we don't have ESP. So we can't read each other's minds. So because of that, expect tensions to pop up every once in a while in your relationships at various times. Anticipate. Anticipate some misunderstandings every once in a while and don't be surprised at the friction that can arise. Several years ago, I had a, a couple that I was working with in marriage enrichment and, and one morning the wife shows up at my office. 
she sits down uh, in, in the chair there in my office and she says, I, I just can't believe he did it. Well, I'm already on pins and needles, you know, what had he done? And she went ahead and told me, you know, the night before, you know, she had got home from work and she had prepared his favorite meal. And she had got all dressed up and she had fixed her hair in the, in the way that he really adored. And as he was coming to the house, she greeted him, Hey, honey, I'm so glad you're home. Uh, yeah, okay. He marches, well, actually, she said stomped. She, he stomped his way to the bedroom. In a few moments, he came out. He was dressed in his work clothes. He went outside to the shop and spent the rest of the evening in the shop. She said, I went out there and said, honey, honey, the, your supper is getting cold. You know, it's your favorite meal. He said, I'll be there eventually. Okay. Eventually he did come inside and took a few bites of the meal and then went to the den and watched sports the rest of the night. Finally, about midnight, he went to bed. She didn't get to talk to him. She said, why did he do that to me? I asked, do you want me to go talk to him? She said, would you? So I went to talk to the husband and, and uh, took him out for lunch. And I said, here's what has happened. Your wife came by my office and here's what she told me. And when I told him about her perspective of the previous evening, his eyes just went down. He started shaking his head. He said, I was wrong. You see, I had the worst day ever in my life at work. My boss forced me to fire two people only because he didn't like them. They were good employees. They needed their job, and I, I, I didn't want to do it. But he's the boss, so I had to. So when I got home, I was in a horrible mood. I, I, I should have told my wife. But all I could think about was just isolating myself in my shop and trying to do something to take the tension and all the anger out. You see, there was a misunderstanding between that husband and that wife. She misunderstood her husband's body language, which led to unnecessary tension in their relationship. However, he could have helped tremendously. By doing what? By communicating what was on his mind. Hey, honey, I've had a horrible day today. I need to, to calm down and cool down. Just give me a moment, please. To be sure, you can expect tension in your relationships at times, but good, good communication, good communication can alleviate much of all of that tension. If the two and a half tribes had just communicated their intentions, Ahead of time, they could have avoided coming to the brink of civil war. Later on here in chapter 22, they'll explain why they built that altar. And actually, it makes perfectly good sense to everyone. But they could have prevented a lot of heartache if they had just explained their intentions before they had built their altar. 
You know, people are like horses. You can lead them just about anywhere, but they don't like to be startled. If you surprise them with change, with something they don't expect, like that husband coming in from a bad day at the office, if you surprise them, you're likely to get kicked. Here's some good advice for all of us. Let folks know your intentions ahead of time. Get their buy-in before you make changes or, or you do something different that they're not expecting. It will go so much better. Communicate your intentions ahead of time. Don't startle people if you don't want to get kicked, because you will. People of all ages don't like to be startled. So communicate your intentions ahead of time. Seek agreement in marriage and also in the church. However, even though we know it's better to communicate, we don't always communicate well. So expect tension in your relationship at times. Then when that happens, not if, but when it happens, express the truth in love. That means, first of all, avoid responding in anger. Don't confront someone when you're mad. Don't speak or act in rage. Like the wife who had the problem because her husband just threw his dirty clothes down wherever he was. Bedroom, the bathroom, the living room, the den, wherever. Now she could have confronted him and said, you always just throw your dirty clothes everywhere and you know, shake the hand like this, you know, shake that finger right in his face. That would go over like a pregnant pole vaulter, okay? It's not going to work very well. Or she could say, hey, honey, I've got a problem. You know, when I come in from work, I've got several things I need to do. And one of those things is the laundry. But unfortunately, I spent about 15 minutes having to go through the whole house collecting all the dirty clothes. Is there any idea you have that might help me get the laundry done quicker? Well, yeah, I could, I guess, put all my clothes in the hamper. Yeah, that's a great idea. Don't speak or act in a rage because it will backfire on you. Communicate facts with respect and grace. Speak with candor, yes, but also speak with compassion. Not putting them down, but sharing your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. Don't forget the three C's. Don't forget the three C's when you're dealing with people. Before you speak, are you calm? Are you cool? Are you in control? Calm, cool, and collected. Are you calm, cool, and collected? If not, it's better to shut up, okay? And wait until a more appropriate time. The people of Israel are angry with the two and a half tribes, so they gather for war and they send their leaders to confront the offenders. And they end up saying things that they re later regret. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, 
Because if I did, I think every hand would go up. Have you ever said something that later you regret it? I'll go ahead and raise my hand. I think all of us have said things that later on we regretted. Look at verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery! What evil! What treachery is this that you committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you, you, I can almost see them pointing the finger, you have built for yourselves. It's not for God, it's for yourself. You built for yourself an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. They proceed to remind the two and a half tribes of what had happened at Peor. They falsely accuse the two and a half tribes of a breach of faith and rebellion, comparing their actions to some of the worst rebels in Israel's history. Verse 17, they mention about the sin at Peor. It's a reference to the place where the men of Israel slept with the Shrine prostitutes, Numbers chapter 25. What happened there? Phineas caught an Israeli man and a prostitute and ran them both through with a spear. That stopped the plague that God had sent on the Israelites because of their sin, which ended up killing 24,000 of them. Israel, the tribes on the west, they're now afraid that God will strike them again. Hey, we're going to be punished because you're doing wrong. So they lash out with anger on those they perceive to be rebels. Then they make an offer. Verse 19, if you can't eliminate the sin that's there in your, in your land that you possess on the, on the east side, then come over here. We'll try to fit you in over here somewhere. We'll give you some land over here. And then they say, don't forget what happened with Achan. Well, what happened with Achan? Achan was the man who stole some things from Jericho and hid them in his tent, Joshua chapter 6, as a result of the sin of Achan. Israel was defeated in their next battle with 36 losing their lives. Fearing defeat again for the entire nation, Israel's leaders angrily accused the two and a half tribes of rebellion. You're wrong. You're rebellion against God. You're going to bring destruction down upon us. Well, let me tell you, this is no way to resolve conflict. Making false accusations in at the worst, lives are lost as a result. At the very least, you look foolish. Do you enjoy the old Western movies? The Oxbow Incident is an old Western that starred Henry Fonda. In the story, an excited youth tells the townspeople that a very popular rancher had been murdered and they had stolen, the cattle rustlers had stolen his cattle. The citizens of that town, well, they're up in arms. 
Well, how dare that those people do that to our favorite guy there? We, we don't like this. They're not willing to wait until the sheriff got back in town. They formed their own posse and started to ride out. At the oxbow of the river, they found three guys, three strangers with a bunch of cattle. These three strangers said, hey, we just bought this, this uh, herd of cattle and we're taking them back. You know, and we know nothing about a murder. The posse wouldn't listen. They hung those three men. On their way back, they ran into the sheriff returning to town along with that rancher who had supposedly been murdered. They had killed those three strangers who were innocent. Those who act in anger live to regret it. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger never makes things right. In fact, it makes things worse. So avoid it when you're trying to resolve your conflicts. More than that, avoid wrong assumptions. Wrong assumptions can lead to false accusations. Don't automatically assume the worst in people. Instead, ask before you accuse, hoping for the best. That's what the leaders of Israel failed to do. So what are they doing? They lash out with this tirade of anger against the two and a half tribes and they bring the whole nation to the brink of civil war. In fact, had it not been for the way that the two and a half tribes responded, they would have ended up killing each other. So how do the two and a half tribes respond? Verse 21. Then the children of Israel, or children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, the Lord God, they give praise to God. The Lord God of gods. The Lord God of gods, He knows and let Israel itself know if it is in rebellion or in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord Himself require an account. If we had done wrong, let God Himself bring down His wrath upon us. But see, that altar was not built to be an altar. The two and a half tribes calmly explained that they built the altar as a witness to their children. To remind them of the joint effort of all twelve tribes. That they are one with the rest of Israel, not as a rival altar in rebellion against Israel. The two and a half tribes respond with respect and with grace. Instead of retaliatory attack, they calmly communicate their intentions, and that's what you need to do if you want to resolve conflict. Respond with respect and grace. That means avoiding responding in anger. Avoid, avoid wrong assumptions and false accusations. And even if you are falsely accused, 
avoid a retaliatory attack. Avoid reacting in kind and just speak the truth in love. One morning, a dear sister in Christ, Bess Reagan, came to worship service. She was in tears. She lived in a, in a senior center. And one of the co-residents had told her of a horrible, horrible crime that supposedly yours truly had committed. And she came, she said, I can't believe this. You know, this woman said this about you. I said, I said, that's okay. Let me go talk to her. So I got my family back home and I went to talk to this woman. And I said, I understand you have a, a, something to say about me. Would you please uh, share, you know? She said, yes, you know, you, uh, you raped that woman. You, you know, I remember the story quite well. It happened just about the time that President Kennedy was shot. I was six years old when President Kennedy was shot. She had the wrong person completely. Did I attack her? Did I come back with guns blazing? I said, ma'am, I know you were sincere in what you were saying, but you are sincerely wrong. Here's why. And I said, I was born just just under seven years before President Kennedy got shot. I remember it as a little boy. Avoid reacting in kind. And just speak the truth in love. In the first century, Jews and Gentiles despised each other. However, they found themselves following Jesus together and worshiping in the same gatherings. That was the case in the church in Ephesus. So Paul writes them a letter urging them to what? Maintain the unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace by doing what? By speaking the truth in love. You see, unity is maintained when people speak the truth in love. In our contentious age today, we need people who can speak the truth, but speak it with candor and compassion. If you want to resolve conflict in your relationships, first of all, expect tension. It will happen. Don't be surprised by it so it doesn't trip you up. Number two, express the truth in love. And then third and most important, exalt the Lord together. As I was leaving that apartment of that woman who had spread that false rumor, I surprised her. I said, before I leave, could we have prayer together? Uh, she said, uh, uh, well, sure. In my prayer, I exalted God. God, be with us through this misunderstanding and help us to see the truth, your truth in all things. Work to honor His name. Seek God's glory in all your responses. Go back to verse 22. The two and a half tribes, they were what? Honoring God. Honoring God. Verse 30 and 31, the nine and a half tribes, the tribes on the west, they realize it. They admit, you're the honorable one. You have helped us to avoid war today. 
They give glory to God and thank the two and a half tribes for keeping them from God's judgment. Think about what would happen. Had Israel attacked the two and a half tribes, God would have punished Israel for their unjust act. The civil war would have been bad enough, but the hand of the Lord is far worse. Verse 32 through 34. They resolved their conflict and blessed the Lord. Both sides sought God's glory more than anything else. And that's what you must do if you want to resolve your conflicts. Seek God's glory. Seek to exalt Him. Seek to honor His name. For resolving conflict is not about who is right or wrong. That's what we often end up, you know, we're interested. Well, who's right and wrong? I want to be right. I want you to be wrong. It's about God getting the glory. In fact, when the Bible addresses Christians who have disputes with one another, it says it's better to suffer wrong than to bring disrespute to the cause of Christ. God's glory, God's honor, God's reputation is our ultimate goal, especially in the way we treat one another. Why would the world out there want to be in here if we cannot get along, if we cannot love each other the way Jesus loves us, what would cause them to want to be part of our number? You see, Jesus died on a cross to bring reconciliation, not only between us and God, but also between us and other believers whose motives we might not always understand. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. It's no longer Jew and Gentile. It's Christian. Christian. The cross brought believers together. So, so when we fight each other, it discredits the power of the cross in the eyes of the world. That's why resolving our conflict is so important. Not to determine who is right or wrong, as I've already said, but to demonstrate the power of the cross, to truly change lives. God's glory should be our ultimate goal, and when it is, you can more easily... Resolve your conflicts. There's something I do with all of my couples. Each couple has a different customized program to hopefully enrich their marriage and make their marriage better. But one thing I do with all of my couples is I pray with each couple. In those prayers, I have something I pray each time. I pray that we will be brought closer together and closer to you, God. I want the couple to be brought closer together as husband and wife, but yes, and also very important, to be brought closer to God. Because you see, if we're brought closer to God, we automatically, automatically become closer to each other. If you want to resolve your conflicts, and conflict will happen, Expect tension at times so it doesn't trip you up. Express the truth in love, but most importantly, 
exalt the Lord. Make Him look good. Pat will know the history of this. In the early days of radio, often the, the music, the songs you would hear, would not be recorded. They would actually be someone in the studio performing. Well, on this one occasion, there was a singer that had come in to sing a cappella, this song. But the singer had forgotten to bring the tuning fork. Well, how do I get in tune? How do I know I'm going to be in right tune? The radio broadcaster said, don't worry, I'll ask for our audience to help us. So the radio broadcaster got on the radio there and before the person was supposed to sing the song and said, hey, we got a little problem here. We need our singer to get in tune. We need somehow to give this singer the note A. Can anyone out there give us that note A? In just a few moments, uh, the phone rang and the radio broadcaster picked it up and the person on the other end a man's voice said, hey, I can do that for you. And that person proceeded to, uh, to play the note A for the singer. The broadcaster said, hey, we appreciate this so much. Uh, tell me, are you in the music field? Uh, is that something you do for a living? He said, oh, no, I'm not in the music field. I'm a shepherd. Here's my point. My dear friends, get in tune. Get in tune with the great shepherd then you'll be in tune with each other. If we get our life in tune with the great shepherd, we in turn will be in tune with each other. You know what happens? At the end of every one of my sermons, you see these words and these numbers. This is God's simple plan of salvation. I purposely have selected the words of Jesus. I could use other listings. I could use Romans 6, 3, and 4, for example, for baptism. I could use Acts 2, 38 for repentance. But these are words from Jesus himself. You see, if you turn down God's simple plan of salvation, you are turning down Jesus. You're not turning down me. You're not turning down Billy. You're not turning down the elders. You are turning your back on Jesus. Will you become a Christian this morning? We're going to have elders up here waiting for you. They, they want you to respond. They are praying for your response. As a Christian, do you need to seek forgiveness? The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. If, if you will respond, please do so. As Billy leads this next song for your encouragement, please come. He made a dead. He did not owe. I owed a dead. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, amazing grace. No name on Christ Jesus' name. The Day he's coming.
It's going to be a reflection of where we want to be when this life ends and eternity begins. A mansion, a robe, and a crown is what God has promised to those who are faithful. So, if you want a mansion, a robe, and a crown, sing out loudly. I'm going to trade my earthly home for that one bright Amen. Aren't we all looking for that mansion robe and a crown? Just a couple of announcements real quick. Uh, guests, once again, we want to extend our heartfelt welcome. We are glad and proud to have you with us this morning. We pray that you would be back with us at every opportunity, um, especially for